Are you ready to make a real difference in the world and especially to the people around you? Welcome to the Higher Purpose Podcast, where we celebrate the road less traveled in business, leadership, and life. We welcome you to another conversation that we believe will provide you with the insight and inspiration you need on your journey. Here's your host, Kevin Monroe. Welcome to episode 135 of the Higher Purpose Podcast. Today's conversation is the fourth in a series of conversations about love at work. Now, you might find today's episode a bit more covert about love at work, but from my perspective, it has everything to do with love at work. You see, today we're talking about belonging. The path that led to today's conversation is an interesting one. It's one that I actually included as a case study in a post that I wrote for BizCatalyst 360 earlier this month that was entitled, The Not-So-Subtle Art of Tagging. So here's the journey. Back in September, I met Jane Adshead Grant at a Humans First gathering in London where I spoke on the topic of belonging. You may remember Jane from episode 117. Well, back in December, Jane tagged me on a post in LinkedIn pointing to this HBR article entitled The Value of Belonging at Work, of which today's guest was one of the authors of that article. Well, I read the article and instantly knew that I wanted to bring that conversation to life here on the podcast. I reached out to BetterUp and I met Dr. Gabriella Kellerman, and we started the process. Well, as it unfolded, this conversation happened just in time to be part of our series of conversations about love at work. You know, I believe belonging might just be the most palpable expression of love at work. Let's get to it. I believe you'll enjoy what's coming up now. What a delight it is to welcome Dr. Gabriella Kellerman, who is the Chief Innovation Officer of BetterUp to the Higher Purpose Podcast. Thanks for joining us today, Gabriella. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Kevin. It's really fun to be here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm so excited about this. Okay, even before this, I'm just going to say, you and I were just talking. The way we're positioning this conversation today comes after a series of conversations about love. And I don't know whether we'll actually use the word love or not. That'll be fun to see. But we're talking about belonging. And to me, and I just asked you before we hit record, I wanted to make sure you do see this connection between love and belonging at work, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's all about how we find that human connection in this social environment at the workplace. Awesome. Well, before we get into that conversation, you know that I always enjoy starting our conversations here by grounding them in gratitude. So, what is something? that you're grateful for in this moment we connect here today? There are so many things, but the one I'll choose is my gratitude to be alive at this moment in history. Mm. I think we're in such an extraordinary um, moment of innovation and dynamism. And I should add in particular part of the world that I was fortunate to be born in, get to Mm. grow up in. There's an infinite number of other eras and places in the world I could have been born. I feel very fortunate to be in the time and place that we're in. Wow. 
Okay, and then you use two words there, innovation and dynamism. Unpack those for us a bit, and especially since I just mentioned your title that I love is Chief Innovation Officer. Great. I would love to. Innovation, I guess the classical psychological research definition of creativity or a creative idea is one that is surprising, it's novel, and it's useful. And innovation would be the specific application of those ideas to solving some sort of problem. Um, I've always been really passionate and excited about ideas, new ways to solve problems that particularly advance our well-being, our overall happiness, life satisfaction. Um, There's quite a lot of that kind of innovation happening today. And then dynamism, you know, could mean a lot of things to me. It's really about the flow of ideas and the collaboration across widely different disciplines is so exciting to me. And it's such a fertile soil for different kinds of innovation that have been possible historically. Okay. I love that. Well, I want to ask you a question. It's a bit of a teaser and a teen up the conversation here, but is it fair to say that through your organization's work and research that you've uncovered what possibly might be the missing link to the diversity and inclusion quest, which is a multi-billion dollar quest each year, but we've not yet made the advancements that we hope those endeavors would make? Is that a fair statement? I think it's fair to say that belonging is that missing link. Um, We stand on the shoulders of others who have coined this term and done initial research on it. So I wouldn't say we're the ones who uncovered it, but I would say we've embraced it and we've now proven out aspects of why it is that missing link that others have not been able to prove. Oh, okay. So I'm really excited about this conversation. But before we get into that, and so we bring people along, what would you like us to know about you and the organization Better Up that you're with that creates context to talk about this belonging, the research you've done? Yeah, great. Well, so Better Up is a mobile development platform. Um, it focuses on coaching, so one to one coaching with individuals around the globe. So we're in 50 something countries, um, we coach in dozens of languages. Um, Employees at mostly large corporations are forming these long and close relationships with a coach in their time zone and language to work on the areas of personal and professional development that are most important to them. Um, Belonging, as you can imagine, is a huge part of what makes us happy at work, what helps us drive meaning at work. Um, It's one of the six pillars of our employee experience index, which are all things that drive work satisfaction and work productivity. Um, So it's a big part of our perspective on how we can help all of those many, many people that we're coaching and supporting in their development. Hmm. Okay. So how I found you was through a friend, Jane Adshead Grant, posted a link about the HBR article about the study. And when I read that, I was just fascinated. So help us, and I know that wasn't the first study that BetterUp did. What was the path that led you and the team to be even studying a topic like belonging? Yeah, there were a number of different threads that pointed us toward belonging um, as the focus of our study. 
our previous work had been on meaning and purpose at work, which is pretty foundational to our company, to the vision of the founders of our company, helping people find that sense of purpose and passion. And many of the findings around meaning at work had to do with social connection, had to do with your sense of connection to your team. And we became more interested in how belonging functions as almost a mechanism for meaning at work. Hmm. Um, We also, as a company, as individuals, are very passionate about inclusive leadership, inclusion in the workplace, and we're eager to do some work in this space that could help lead to developing evidence-based interventions. A lot of the, the work I think you know has been very well intentioned, but based in common sense rather than in, in evidence. And so we felt there was a gap in the literature um, demonstrating what kinds of interventions help people come to feel more included at work. So it all came together through those different threads. Okay. You said something there that just really piqued my interest, Gabriella. You contrasted and linked common sense and evidence-based. Let's unpack that a moment because I think I really love that connection because there are so many things that are common sense. And then there's a base of evidence that proves that out. That's what I've loved about research, because I'm not a researcher. I don't understand the whole process, but I love it when I'm reading research and go, well, this is proving what I've always known was common sense. So talk about that connection for us. Yeah. Can I ask you a question back, Kevin? Uh What do you like more when you read something that tells you, oh, this is why this makes sense, my common sense was accurate, or when you read something that really challenges your common sense and makes you think, oh. I never thought about it that way at all. That's really interesting. Oh, I think I like them both. And it kind of depends. (laughs) So when I went to graduate school, most of my experience was that of finding the theory, the research behind things that I had discovered in the trenches that were working. It was like, oh, that's the theory behind this. But I also am equally intrigued when I find something that kind of goes, there's more to this then I've realized there's more than meets the eye. So yeah. dig back and peel back yeah. the eye and find out what's here. So I'm intrigued by both at different times. Sure. I think I feel the same way. Um, if you think about the field of behavioral economics, it's almost the field that's entirely based on showing us why our common sense is wrong. And, you know, and it's hard to do that because economics is very much a common sense based field from the perspective of behavioral science. So we assume that people act in a rational way. And there's a lot of assumptions about human behavior and human thought that turn out not to be accurate. That's a good example of a field where we've discovered the extent to which we really can't rely on our common sense to show us what's true. It's a great place to start, for sure. And it makes a ton of sense. But at a certain point, why wouldn't we take advantage of these amazing tools and systems of thinking that we've developed to get to scientific truth and evidence that helps us feel confident that the approach we're taking is going to result in the outcome that we're hoping for. So I'm wondering for you, is there a personal connection that makes this work with belonging so, makes you so passionate about it and makes it such a field of interest and 
discovery for you? Yeah, thanks for asking. I love the question. It's not something that I get to talk about much. I think inclusion has always been a very important part of my own value system and of the way that I want to show up in the world for others. When I think about where that came from, I think it had to do with a couple of things, definitely from childhood and my family. There were ways in which I felt growing up like a bit of an outsider. Hmm. And I think had a sense of kind of who was in the group and who was out of the group at a level that maybe others didn't. And there was also an element of my family life where we ended up for a variety of reasons, hosting a lot of people would stay at our house or come for meals who were visiting from out of town. And they were people of all different backgrounds, all different walks of life. And often we would have a dinner table full of people who had nothing in common, nothing to do with each other. And I'd just be watching my parents work to kind of create a community in a sense of like, this is a place you belong for this wide range of people. Um, so I think all of that's really stuck with me and feels very meaningful and important to me. And as I've headed out into the workplace and experienced a lot of this firsthand, both as an insider who's been included and as an outsider who's been excluded, all those lessons feel extremely important in that environment. Okay, so you all coined a term along the way. I believe you all coined the term of unbelonging. I love that term when I read it because I'm curious. I will go first and say there are a lot of times in life that I felt I unbelonged in places or groups. <laughs> Feel that? Some of those experiences you were just describing? Yeah, absolutely. Plenty of that. Plenty of unbelonging. And yeah, so Andrew Reed, a member of my team who led much of the work on this study, coined the term. And what he was solving for in coining the term was that we can feel a sense of unbelonging regardless of how other people are intending to make us feel, regardless of whether they're trying to include or exclude. It's really about what's our internal experience, not about someone else's actions. And of course, they're related. But if we want to speak to the internal experience, there wasn't a great term for that. So that's our new word for the world. <laughs> well, I love the word. And it's come up even though we hadn't landed on the word, in weeks leading up to our meeting, I'd been in a lot of conversations about belonging, and people were starting to identify that experience, right? What I'm feeling that's totally maybe independent of what's happening in the group, but it's my experience of the group. And they may be making the best efforts to include me, but I'm not feeling it. I'm not connecting. So I love the idea of unbelonging. Before we go into the research, you know, it hit me. You and I were about to have a conversation about belonging, and we may all experience belonging differently. So how do you even define belonging? Great. There are a number of different ways in the literature to define belonging. It's used to mean a lot of different things. So everything from feeling that you matter to an organization, and mattering is actually something we studied independently, um, feeling a sense of commitment to your organization, feeling that you have a social network of support. The definition that we use is much more related to the literature around inclusion. And we define belonging as that internal experience that you feel part of the group, you feel that you belong. Um, it could or could not be triggered by people behaving inclusively. Often it is. 
but it's really about that internal experience of being a part of a group. Okay. So thank you for that definition. I love it. What did you discover or uncover through the research? What did you all find out about belonging and the impact? Yeah. So our work was one of the first to look at the causal relationship between belonging and your performance for a team. So there's a lot of research, and we actually did some of this kind of research as well that's correlational, where you say, okay, people who have a low sense of belonging are more likely to quit their job. People who have a low sense of belonging are less likely to get a raise or a promotion. But you can't show a causal relationship just by showing that those two things exist at the same moment in time. So we actually created an experimental condition where we put people in teams. We created a fact in a, a condition where some were included, some were excluded by the group. Um, we then asked the people who have been included, excluded about their feelings about the group. So we validated that condition had made them feel they do or don't belong. So it's not just about what people are doing to you. It's really about your internal experience. And then we had them perform work for this team. And people who were included worked about 25% harder for their teams than people who were excluded. Whether you were included or excluded, we also tested how much you would work for yourself. And we found that you actually work the same amount for yourself. So it doesn't have any global impact on your level of effort or motivation but it's almost some kind of punitive aspect or some kind of withdrawal function where you are going to work less if there are actions you perceive have led you to feel that you don't belong in that group. Okay, I think I understood something in reading the report. And we will provide a link so you listening can find the report, both the belonging report, the meaning and purpose report. Both of those, I think, are fascinating reads. And I want you to have access to all of the research that Better Up Labs is doing. If someone was feeling unbelonging to a team, what was the impact of team rewards on that person? Let's motivate them to share in a reward that we're offering the team. Right. So that's where we saw that um, people will actually work less hard even to their own monetary detriment if they feel that they have been excluded by the team, they feel that they don't belong on that team. So you can imagine you're given a task to do and you could earn up to $10 if you're doing it for yourself or up to $40 if you're doing it for the team. It's going to be split four ways. So either way, the maximum you can make is $10. If you've been included by the team, you'll work the same. You'll work to get that $10 for yourself and you'll work to get it and for the benefit of the broader team. But if you've been excluded, you'll work to get that $10 for yourself. And then for the team, you'll work about 25% less than that person who'd been included. So maybe you would work to make $7.50, call it a day. And definitely less effort you're going to put in if it's going to benefit the broader group, even though it's at your, to your own detriment. I found that fascinating, that the cost of unbelonging, is this a fair statement, maybe? Maybe it's tough to ask a researcher this, Gabriella, but the way I interpret it is I will do things to my own detriment to get back at the team that made me feel I didn't belong. 
Yeah. So that's definitely one way to interpret this is there's a punitive aspect to it. Another way to interpret it might be I'm withdrawing. I just don't want to put in the effort, you know, because I have these negative feelings. I'm not necessarily trying to punish, but I feel a decreased motivation. And the cluster of responses here is is an antisocial response. So going into this research, there were three ways that we expected people could respond. One was antisocial. So in response to feeling that I don't belong, I'm going to work less hard for the group. One was no difference, so I'll work the same, which is a totally viable path we could have seen. And then the third is pro-social. So there's some environments where if people aren't accepting you, you might want to work even harder. Um, That's that's kind of what we put people through in any kind of hazing ritual is you've got to work to earn your spot here. And people feel motivated to do that or feel they even have to go above and beyond. And the fact that all of these reactions are within our human behavioral vocabulary was part of why we wanted to do this research because you need to show cause and effect in the team work performance setting to get to some clarity. But the short answer to your question is that's a very valid hypothesis for the emotional experience happening and the broader encapsulation of that behavioral response is, would be antisocial. Okay, thank you. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about why belonging matters and what caught my eye initially was talking about the business value of belonging or the value of belonging at work and to business. So what did you all discover about the value of belonging? Yes. So this is an important piece of the puzzle um, for decision makers who have a limited budget to spend on different initiatives to help their workforce. In order to expect them to invest in addressing this problem, they have to believe that it's going to result in some sort of improvement to their bottom line. So we have two pieces of the work that we did here. The first I already spoke to is the experimental piece where we showed that exclusionary behaviors that produce people, this feeling of unbelonging in workers leads to 25% less performance for the team or 25% reduction in performance for the team. So that's a problem. You can quantify that quite easily in terms of revenue or any kind of productivity you might want to apply that figure to. But we also did correlational research as part of the foundational work for this. And so we have some other figures I can share. We looked at people who feel they belong versus people who don't feel they belong um, have about a 50% reduction in turnover risk. So you're about 50% less likely to quit your job if you feel that you belong in that organization. In terms of self-reported performance, so how productive do I think I am versus how productive I could be, people who feel they belong are about 56% more productive but perform about 56% better than people who don't feel they belong. And then this is a big one. We saw that people who a high degree of belonging take 75% fewer sick days than Mm. people who feel that they don't belong. Mm. Wow. Fascinating, fascinating study and data that you have. So I remember we had to get acquainted and explore some 
your report conversation a month or so ago. And I remember as I was reading the report and then in that conversation, and again, I'm not a researcher, so my brain works a little differently than yours. All of a sudden, I saw this and I was wondering, what's the correlation or the connection between the high numbers of workplace disengagement that Gallup reports. And I was just wondering, hmm, how many of the people that are disengaged might be uh, unbelongers? Do you think there's a connection? Yeah, so there's definitely a connection. So the way that we think about the relationship between belonging and engagement is actually they're both crucial components of the overall employee experience. I mentioned earlier, we think about six pillars to that employee experience that are connected, but add independent predictive ability to thinking about how much people are overall enjoying the work that they're doing. So engagement's one, belonging's another, meaning and purpose is another, optimism is another element of that, authenticity is another one. And then social connection. Those are kind of the six pieces that in our research pool with tens of thousands of workers in it, we have found to be most predictive of overall employee experience. And so those kind of come together through that lens. Okay. What was the impact of unbelonging then? Yeah. Again, it was about a 25% reduction in the efforts that you're willing to put in for your team. Some other numbers that came out of the correlational study is we saw that people who have a low degree of belonging at work um, are about 18 times less likely to get a promotion Mm. and about half as likely to get a raise. So big discrepancy in terms of the level of recognition, level of advancement that you're going to see and all these questions and those in these correlational studies, what's causing what? If I'm being overlooked for a promotion, I'm sure that's going to make me not feel like I belong. But it's important to see that those two things hang together. Okay. I love that you have this business quantification, but what about just the human value of belonging? What do you think about that? Where does that fit, right? That yes, there is a business reason for this, but there's also, this is just the right thing to do for people reason? Yeah, it's such an important question. And for those of us who feel so deeply about this value, it can be frustrating to have to spend time quantifying the business impact because it seems so obvious this is just the right thing to do. Many of the partners that we work with at Better feel that way, feel that way very deeply. And this kind of quantification is still important for them because they need to make the case to colleagues who may not feel that way. You may, you know, for sure think belonging is a nice thing to do and a good thing to do, but lower down the priority list of areas of investment for the company. So we try to empower those folks who are trying to bring this to their workforce or to their teams or to their colleagues with the data that will help them get into those conversations with others who don't share that implicit sense of the inherent value of this work. So if I understand something else about BetterUp, you do this research, and one of the reasons you do this research is to develop evidence-based practices to address these issues. What are some evidence-based practices that lead to greater sense of belonging? 
What do we do with the yeah. basically? Great. Thanks for asking. So the last phase of our research was we had set up this experimental commission where we could create belonging or unbelonging, and we knew that it had an impact on how well people performed on this task that we asked them to do. So that's ideal condition to be able to test interventions. So that's exactly what we did next. We tested four different interventions plus a control condition and looked at how much they were able to reverse that feeling of unbelonging. All four of them worked, but to different degrees. The first one was what we called perspective, and it's based on an intervention that's been used with undergraduate populations. What we did here is we asked everyone who had gone through this experience of exclusion to write a little bit of reflection on how they would coach others to cope with that experience. And in the perspective condition, we showed the people who had just been excluded these kind of writings of guidance from others who had just gone through it. So reading these experiences from others and suggestions for coping mechanisms from people who had just been through the same experience was that first intervention of perspective. The second intervention that we tried out was the reverse of that. We call it mentorship. And that's where you're the one writing. So you're actually writing this wisdom to others to share. Let's use your experience to help others kind of pay it forward. Think about how to cope, best cope with this experience you just had. And then the last one was what we call empowerment, where we gave people the opportunity to give us suggestions for how to change the Senate such that people did not feel excluded. So how would you change the rules if you could? Importantly, we didn't promise we would change those rules, but we gave them the space to think creatively and to feel heard and to feel that their opinion mattered. The last condition that we had was we actually put a, another team member into the original experiment. We had that one team member include the individual. So you had two team members who were excluding you, one team member who was including you, we called on an ally. Importantly, that ally was not overly aggressive in the inclusion. They were simply including you as much as they were including anyone else. So just being fair, um, not fair-minded. Ally was, was the fourth intervention we tested. So all of these worked. All of them improved individuals' willingness to work for their team, but they worked in that order of what I just shared. So perspective was the least impactful of the four. Um, it reversed the effects of being excluded by about 50%. Mentorship and having an ally fully reversed the effects of being excluded. So if you went through that experience, you felt like you didn't belong, then you either got to participate in this mentorship activity or if we had included an ally in that original condition, you worked just as hard for the team as you would have had you been included by everyone to begin with. And then the last one, empowerment, where we gave people the opportunity to give us ideas on how to improve the system, how to improve the conditions. People who had been excluded and had the opportunity to tell us how to fix that system, then were given this task for their team worked even harder for their teams than they had than others who had been included to begin with. So the question that's stirring in my mind, and I'm wondering if I'm following correctly, the way I heard it is the first two were really just helping other people who are in the same 
experiencing unbelonging, how to help them cope. Is that true? And then the empowerment is going to mm-hmm. change the situation to do something about it where unbelonging ceases to exist and belonging happens more often. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's right. I just find that interesting that, again, that's one of those almost common sense things. Wow, when I hear that, it's like, yeah, being able to change the situation rather than just help somebody else cope with the situation does excite me more. At least as I'm listening to this, it's kind of like, yeah. Let's make this better. Let's just not help you cope. Let's make this where others don't have to experience this anymore. Totally. And so now what we're investigating is what's the mechanism through which that works? So is it because you were able to get into a creative headspace and think productively, creates a lot of positive emotions? Did it counter the negative emotions? And that was the mechanism. Um, Is it because it put you back in control of the situation? So rather than feeling like more of a victim, we restore what we call that locus of control, that sense that I have control over my environment. Now, we didn't promise to do anything with these suggestions, but we asked for them. We gave people space to share them. I think that's important to understand because sometimes organizations and leaders are hesitant to ask for suggestions if they're asking for them, they have to carry them forward. And I think one of the lessons here is that, yes, you have to do it in a respectful way. You have to take seriously the idea that you might change the system based on these inputs. But you don't have to promise that you're going to go ahead and do verbatim what someone's suggesting for you in order for this to be an impactful intervention for them, in order for them to feel that they are somehow part of the group and part of the system that can think about the optimal condition. Okay. And I'm not sure this was part of the research. So I'll let you interpret what I'm asking and how you can answer it. But I'm just curious, when you look at this, are there places, cultures you see that are kind of like champions of belonging versus these deserts of belonging? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely organizations that are really invested in this and have spent a lot of energy around it. And I'm wondering, is it really possible or what would it take for a place that's a desert of belonging to become an oasis of belonging? Mm, I love that metaphor. So how do you make that transformation? So we know that most of these kinds of cultural transformations fail. Typically, they fail because the focus is really at the top in the sort of like strategic planning and then it's not carried out into the front lines of culture where this all lives and dies. And as our research shows, belonging lives and dies at that team level. It lives and dies with the people that you're interacting the most on a daily basis, helping teams become more inclusive units, units that create that sense of belonging. That's the most impactful thing that you can do. Obviously, that's a huge part of what we do with our coaching and With coaching and the way that we do it, we're often coaching the managers of these frontline teams. So if you had to choose one point of highest leverage within the team, definitely going to be the manager, the one who's setting the tone, the one who's creating the conditions for collaboration, the one who's creating the conditions for participation within team meetings, all of those things that are so critical for this. It's also, though, very important for individuals to hear from their leadership that these things matter and to feel that their leadership's aligned with their own sense that something like belonging is really important. 
So it's very important to hear that, to see that leaders embody it and live it. But in terms of the day-to-day experience that we all have at work, it's that team unit that's most impactful. If you saw me looking away, I was trying to find this question that I stumbled on earlier this week, that where a company, they went through this journey, not saying your research journey, but this journey of they had found a great disparity between their salaried employees and the level of experience for them and their Mm. hourly employees. And in their journey, they stumbled on one question that they adopted and it started changing so many things that every leader of people was to ask at least one person this question every day. What action can I take now to make your experience as an employee better today than it was yesterday? Now, I see you smiling. I don't know why. I don't know if you think, well, that's a ridiculous question. Or why are you smiling, Gabriella? I love so much about that very simple intervention. First of all, it forces a type of conversation between the manager and the employee. It forces a type of conversation where the employee is being given an invitation to feel empowered, to share their needs, um, to feel that their voice matters. Um, so there's a lot of different kinds of questions you could ask to, to create that conversation. Um, it also forces the manager to be in a certain mind, a certain servant leadership mindset, as we call it, where they're a huge part of their role is to make sure that everyone on the team is having a positive experience. And that's not something that a lot of managers spend a lot of time thinking about and by kind of forcing them to have that conversation to be in a humble place where they can position themselves as a listener and an enabler. It's really, really very elegant and beautiful. Um, I think organizations could tailor that question to the areas of the experience that they cared most about. But I do like that it creates a very broad canvas. So if an employee had pretty much any kind of concern, they could feel comfortable raising it within that. I guess a lot hinges on the delivery of that question. How authentic does it feel? Um, How genuine does it feel to the person receiving it? But I just love that. Well, okay, when you say that, and then I flash back to you said that authenticity was one of the six pillars you had, which I love. And I see so many things. I remember a time I was at a hotel And a lot of hotels have picked up this phrase, my pleasure, as how they respond to a guest request. And one day I was in the gym and I just hadn't grabbed a towel before I got on the elliptical. And there I was and starting to sweat. And a person's walking through and they're doing some cleaning on things. And I just asked, hey, could you hand me a towel? I didn't think there was a big request. They were right there, you know, and and they just grabbed me a towel. They looked at me and I said, thank you. And they said my pleasure, but there was no feeling of my pleasure Mm. communicated. So that gets to that authenticity. If you're asking a question that comes across as very robotic, that comes across as I really don't care, but I am required to ask this question. So, Gabriella, what can I do today to make your experience here better than it was yesterday? Right? There's no empathy, there's no caring. So now, This gets back to the love piece. What's the connection between love and all of this and making it really authentic? Yeah, so there's a kind of a definition of love and operationalization of love called positivity resonance. 
that Barbara Fredrickson created. Yes. And it has to do with the depth of the connection that we feel in this particular moment with another individual. Something we've actually studied, we've studied how different kinds of acts create varying types of positivity, resonance, or love between people. And it's not intended to be a romantic love, but it is intended to represent a very deep connection that's soulful and fulfilling. And authenticity is a huge part of that. And it has to do with your ability to let yourself be vulnerable to have that sense of connection, there's a level of vulnerability that we're exposing and allowing ourselves to expose. And being authentic at work, part of that is how comfortable you feel being vulnerable and how comfortable you feel being your authentic self, which requires letting others see who that person is. We get a lot of questions about the connection between employee experience and customer experience and what you experienced in that Jim with the towel is a great example of where if an employee doesn't feel in their workplace that they can be authentic, that they can be their full selves, how are they going to be authentic with you as a customer? They're not in an environment that's bringing that out of them. And so that would be a very fair type of feedback to give to that organization that you're not creating an environment where people feel that they can really be themselves and open themselves up to create that feeling of connection with customers. It's probably because of some things that are happening in your organizational culture. Authenticity is just one of those pillars where it really comes to life and has a lot to do with how we're able to bring ourselves into the world to face our customers as well. Yeah, I say that a bit differently than perhaps you just said it, but I do recognize the truth of this, that anytime I see amazing customer experience, I know there's amazing employee experience happening behind that to make it happen, right? Especially when it's systemic and it's across the board. It's not an accident that there's a dynamic employee experience going on there. Yeah. As our time is winding down here, a couple more questions I want to ask you. And I know for some listening to us at this moment, this whole conversation about belonging becomes intensely personal for them because maybe at this moment, They didn't know the word for it before we started, but they're thinking, huh, I'm experiencing unbelonging. Or maybe the person listening, you listening, are the confidant or a friend of a peer that you know is struggling with unbelonging. What would you say out of the research and also out of what I know is an empathetic, caring heart about this? Yeah, yeah. So first of all, There is a lot that we can do for ourselves in these environments and to help others. We spoke before about some of the interventions, but I'll just try to translate in plain language how I think they come to bear for all of us as individuals in our lives. So for those of us who are concerned about someone at work and the extent to which they're not feeling a sense of belonging, perhaps because others are not including them or perhaps because they just haven't found that way to connect and that way in, One of the best things that you can do is share your own experiences with those feelings. And you don't have to imply anything about what they're feeling. You could just find a way to bring up in a conversation a time that was challenging for you in terms of your own sense of belonging and how you got through it. And leave that as an opportunity for them to raise with you their own feelings. And if they don't raise it, that's okay. They will have taken something away from that conversation. If you're in a position where you can actually do something to change the conditions that are leading them to feel they don't belong, first of all, by all means, try to create more conditions of belonging for them 
through things like asking them how they feel about a certain situation, how they would change that situation, simply by being a fair-minded ally. So giving them turns in meetings to share their thoughts, amplifying things that they're saying, making sure their points are heard, those kinds of things go a long way. For those of us who are struggling as individuals who feel that we don't belong, it can be extremely powerful to find allies within the organization from whom we can seek their perspective on how they've coped with these types of environments. Ideally, your manager can be one of those allies and can be someone who's able to share with you their own journey within the organization, their own strategies, and be especially attuned to and available to you around these issues. If you feel comfortable sharing ideas with your manager about how you might change the situation is another great way to do it. Sometimes companies have anonymous forums where you can put in suggestions for changes and it's another great outlet to take advantage of. Even if nothing happens with your suggestion, giving yourself the opportunity to think creatively about it and to find an outlet to share those ideas is going to be helpful in your journey. Thank you, Gabriella. And then if you could say something to the people listening, those listening who are a people leader, a manager, or in some level caring for others, what would you hope might be one takeaway that they're leaving this conversation with that they can do to impact the level of belonging on their team? Yeah, so leaders of teams are one of the hugest determinants of whether someone feels that they do or don't belong Having a clear sense of how your employees are feeling about this issue is really important. Being able to have open conversations with them about this is really important. Being able to share vulnerably with your employees your own experiences of not feeling that you belong will open up a lot of communication and create those moments of authentic connection. Um, That will help quite a lot. And I also think people leaders are busy. There's a lot on our plate. Knowing that in our study, simply treating people fairly, giving people equal turns to share in meetings, equal turns to contribute, doesn't mean going out of your way, bending over backwards. It's just a very simple, fair thing, way to show up in your role as a leader. Um, It goes a very long way toward increasing that feeling of belonging. Thank you. I'm curious, is there something else you would like to either add to the conversation or pull out of it in terms of summary that allows you to feel really like you've put a pretty bow on this conversation time detail? Well, I guess I'd just say this is just the beginning. There's so much more that we need to learn and understand here. And we're really happy to have contributed what we've contributed, but there's so much more to come. And I hope to be growing and learning with this community um, as we all make our discoveries and advance the research. Hmm. Okay. And so for people who really are intrigued, leaning in, listening and saying, oh, I don't want this to end. I want to know more. Where would you suggest they go? Yeah. So there's two print versions of this research that I would love to point people to. The first is a short version that we produced and was published in the Harvard Business Review on the value of belonging at work, which you can look at. And you can just search it along with my name as the author of one of four authors on that. And then the other one is we have a longer white paper on this that can be downloaded online from the BetterUp website called our Belonging Report. It's a great lengthy resource that you can share with others in your workplace as you want to try to open this conversation. 
at different levels and, and with colleagues with all kinds of different beliefs about this topic. And we'll include the link so you can find that easily to the Better Up website in the show notes of this. Gabriella, thank you so much for joining us. This has just been a delightful conversation. And I agree with you that we're just getting started, but belonging is important. And it's a conversation I hope more people are having more often and really taking seriously. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm such a fan of your podcast. I'm so happy that it exists and this community exists in the world. Thank you, Gabriella. Thanks. Oh, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling some positivity resonance from this conversation with Gabriella. As always, you know, I'm wondering what ideas or insights are resonating with you at this moment. Here are a couple of mine. We all have a longing for belonging. Look around at your work environment. What do you see and what do you sense? Do people have a strong sense of belonging? Or do you have reason to suspect there might be incidences of unbelonging? How about you personally? I do believe you, me, we all have a longing for belonging. I first started unpacking this idea back in episode 116. And I also appreciate that every one of us has within our power to create environments and shape experiences that help others feel a sense of belonging. As Gabriella said, we can all help someone else who might be struggling with belonging or unbelonging at this moment. And I also enjoyed the six pillars of employee experience that BetterUp has identified. Authenticity, engagement, optimism, meaning and purpose, social connection, and belonging. Well, you can rest assured that this will not be our last conversation about belonging. If you want to share what's on your heart or mind, you know all you have to do is contact me. You can do that by emailing me at kevin at higherpurposepodcast.com, or you can call or text me 678-744-5111. Creating environments rich in belonging is one way that you and me can make a difference for others. So until we connect again, keep loving by example, as Lori Corquera challenged us a few weeks ago when we kicked off this series on love. That certainly is a road less traveled in business, leadership, and life. What could 10 days of gratitude do for you? Find out what hundreds of people have experienced and make a change that can last a lifetime at thegratitudechallenge.community because it's better when we do things together.